Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about immigration. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So on Monday, the FDA approved the first new Alzheimer's treatment in over 20 years. The company Biogen has set the cost at $56,000. Many Alzheimer's patients and families celebrated the approval. However, this was a controversial approval by the FDA, which is banking on a future study of how the drug works. Many scientists and experts were against the approval. In other news, CO2 levels in our atmosphere have reached their highest levels in four and a half million years. To take this into perspective, before the Industrial Revolution, there were 280 parts per million, which is 280 uh, carbon dioxide molecules for every 1 million molecules of air. Today, there are 419 parts per million, nearly a 50% increase due to human activity. So what does all this mean? It pretty much means that global warming is getting worse, and we are really starting to see the side effects as it gets warmer with more ferocious storm systems and wacky weather and melting ice caps and everything else that is associated with climate change and global warming. (laughs) So I'll take it over to you, Terrell. Before we go global, um, breaking news, the White House has actually called off talks with Republican um, senators with infrastructure. The Biden administration announced today that they are choosing another path and connecting with more centralist Republicans rather than um, Republican leadership. Whoa. Thought that was an interesting tidbit, especially after um, our conversations around bipartisanship. Quick note for our viewers, breaking news as of Tuesday evening, not Thursday when you all hear this. Yes. And (laughs) also breaking news as of, what, 20 minutes ago? Eh, Maybe an hour now. Yeah. So think about it. In our time, this is true breaking news. It is actually kind of wild, though, that he is not using leadership anymore. Is that really something that presidents do, Terrell? If they have the connections, I'm sure they do. I think what's noteworthy is the fact that the administration's recognizing that they might have more allies outside of the traditional hierarchical structure. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, I'm really curious to see if um, McConnell is going to reap what he sowed by asking for a personal favor with the January 6th commission, but that's <laughs> just me. Um, going globally, however, per the New York Times, the top economic officials from the world's advanced economies reached a breakthrough on Saturday in their year-long effort to overhaul the international tax law unveiling a broad agreement that aims to stop large multinational companies from seeking out tax havens and force them to pay more of their income to governments. What's noteworthy about this move that um, actually I think we talked about towards the beginning of this administration is it looks to set a global minimum corporate rate at 15%. What I really thought was interesting is um, the chancellor in Britain mentioned that this is an opportunity and an agreement that fits the global tax digital age, recognizing that we as a a populace, we as a globe have shifted from our previous um, mechanisms and, and methods to need 
more modernization and more recognition that the way that companies and international organizations function are not the same as in the 1950s. Additionally, (laughs) additionally, we are planning for an uphill battle as the G7, which is the smaller group, takes this to the G20 um, to get an overall agreement and start implementing this across the largest economies in the globe. Noticeably, um, Ireland has already come out in opposition where their rate currently sits at 12.5%, and they feel that this is putting them at a disadvantage as we move forward. On a quick geopolitical beat, um, there's some interesting headlines that I actually want to get your opinion on, yeah. Caleb. I'm just going to read the headlines and then ask you for an overall thing. Um, so there's a big win for Merkel's party um, in Germany that has confounded pundits and pollsters as um, a special election actually went overwhelmingly her way for her party rather than the close race that they were anticipating. Quick note on that. You know, it sounds familiar, except here in the U.S., everything that escapes pollsters' uh, predictions and whatnot always seems to go the way of the Republicans. <laughs> but in this case, good for Germany. You know, it went it went towards uh, Angela Merkel's party. Here, I thought you were about to say something about Nate Silver. Um, <laughs> on top of that, um, President Macron um, was visiting a province in France and was slapped in the face. Um, ironically, as Twitter and other outlets started speculating, talking, something that I found interesting with that news is one, he was in a location that tends to favor, um, Le Pen, his opponent's party. And additionally, a recent poll that just came out after the whole, oh my God, Le Pen is leading in the polls, um, found that she's actually trailing him by double digits now as he has a 54% approval rating to her 44% approval rating. All right. And lastly, um, Israel is getting ready to vote on Sunday for their new government. So all of these together, packaging them. Are we witnessing a, 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 a tide turn or a change of tide, I guess is a better way of putting it, um, of politics? Are we seeing maybe the populistic structure start to crumble, especially post-Donald Trump? Yeah, you know, it seems that over the last few years, the world has kind of taken a uh, far-right turn for the worst. I don't know. I don't know is the short answer. The long answer is that um, it didn't get everywhere, and it also kind of depends where you're at. Like in Israel, they had Benjamin Netanyahu for 12 years. And part of this, part of this agree- agreement um, in Israel um, between uh, opposition parties, like include, uh, they still include like a prime minister that will be at least for a couple years prime minister that is someone who used to be in Benjamin Netanyahu's party, used to be an ally. Um, so like Israel still, I don't know if it, what they're doing in Israel is sustainable at the moment, but it might be enough to, um, make some needed changes Uh, when it comes to like Germany and France, the Macron getting slapped in the face is kind of really interesting. (laughs) Is this the equivalent of when a shoe got thrown at George Bush? Is that like, well, this person actually hit him in the face. 
mean, if it wasn't for I will, George Bush's quick reflexes, he would have been hit in the face. <laughs> I, I do have I do have mad respect for that quick dodge, by George <laughs> W. Bush. Probably close, to, similar to that. Yeah, um, it, you know, I don't. It's hard. It's hard to tell. I think one of the big. I was listening to a pod save the world about Hungary, and Hungary has a really kind of bad problem with their current dictator. I'm not gonna remember the name or pronounce it right. So I'm not going to try, but you can look this up and opposition parties after 10 years of this guy are finally coming together to try and take him down. Mm -hmm. And I think if that were to happen, then maybe the tides are changing, but I, it's hard to know. It always takes a few years to really understand what events lead to other events. And I think we need more data to fully understand if any of this actually works. It's kind of like, cause a lot of this was, was reactions to the 2008 financial crisis mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it, think the about the longest it. war in American history and global history. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of think about it like this um, for some of you may have heard that there was a, a, a special election in New Mexico to um, Phil Deb Hollins, who, who is now the uh, Secretary of Interior, um, to fill her seat. And, you know, it w- looked like it might, have been, might be a tight race and whatnot. And this person that won, won by like a bigger margin than anyone ever guessed would happen. Bigger than Joe Biden, if I remember correctly. Way bigger than Joe Biden, but even bigger than Deb Holland by a couple percentage points, I believe. And... It's one of those things where the the immediate reaction is, okay, wait, like if Democrats just won this seat by like a large amount, like, does that mean we're fine for the midterms? And no, no. exactly. Like (laughs) (laughs) special elections can be good indicators, but they're not necessarily factual. And this is just one in a state that's turning more blue than it was, I I believe. And so that's how I kind of see these like the the German election that you mentioned. That's kind of how I see that. Not really sure if there's a tie turning. We need more data. Hmm. That was really long-winded, but there you go. No, I, I agree. I, I can't remember if it was a New York Times article or Politico, but there was a, a interesting analysis speaking specifically to the Israeli coalition um, that said it it's like if Mitch McConnell and um, AOC were to come together and decide they wanted to form a coalition, that's essentially what's happening in Israel right now. There are so deep ingrained differences in the parties that have now bonded together just to oust um, the tentatively former prime minister. And that's what's happening in Hungary, too. It's not as in the news because we're allies with Israel. Yeah. But that is what's happening in Hungary, too. And it's quite fascinating. And I I start to question, and maybe this is the American in me, but to your point, having a an administration that is speaking about bipartisanship, about seeing your neighbor, finding peace, finding friendship. Um, I mean, we're diving into immigration and the vice president's trip, um, hearing her words of the U.S. will support and help root out corruption, things of that nature. Um, I, I think exactly to your point, it's too early to tell, but there, there's hope that the water is receding and the tide might be turning. Let's hope. So 
So, Caleb, not sure if you have been paying attention to the political news lately. I mean, let's be real. You probably are because I sent you a bunch of articles and whatnot in the group chat. Who said I read your texts? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, um, all eyes are on Vice President Kamala Harris, as I mentioned earlier, as she makes her first foreign trip to Guatemala and Mexico to address the immigration crisis currently oh yeah i saw that from your messages oh but you still didn't read it yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) um actually here's a noteworthy slash over politicized clip that i think can really drive this conversation i want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the united states mexico border do not come Do not come. The goal of our work is to help Guatemalans find hope at home. So the reason this has just ruffled so many feathers um, is because we live in a, a society where a particular party likes to just be a group of hypocrites. Um, I'm not sure if you recall, also back in March, President Biden tapped Harris to really lead the response for um, issues happening along the U.S. and Mexico border, um, similar to how President Obama tapped then Vice President Biden when it came to the drawdown in Iraq. He's really hoping to utilize the vice president's position and power to speak for him abroad while he deals with things domestically um, and hoping that she can begin to work out a a diplomatic solution for Mm -hmm. issues that are happening in this region that has been deemed the Northern Triangle that includes El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras um, being plagued by a mass exodus of um, young people specifically due to corruption, drugs, human trafficking, so forth. Um, The administration tends to lean on and credit their predecessor as being the driving force here, and specifically after they cut um, $450 million in funding for this specific region. But additionally, because of um, what a lot of us call human rights violations with how they house children in detention centers with their um, continued enforcement of immigration laws on a very um, tight and negligible way of if you see someone that you think might not belong in this country, you can deport them, things of that nature. And the Biden administration is hoping to turn the page and and come up with new ways to move forward. But before we dive into data and, and policy, I I feel like for our country, the issue here is really understanding or the lack of, I guess I should say, immigration. I, I, I question or I want to get your initial reaction to the the outrage for Kamala Harris or Kamala Harris's remarks, but also this issue that we've seen seem to have dealt with or are dealing with for a decade now. I feel like we've been doing it for longer than that. I would agree. <laughs> for as long as I remember, although a decade ago I was like a small kid. <laughs> So I guess as far back as I remember isn't too long, but, um, well, I just think it's funny that like 
like conservative media has kind of pounced on this, like, oh my gosh, Kamala Harris said, do not come. That's terrible. And all this stuff, even though Trump like literally like called um, immigrants from Mexico and in those, you know, shithole countries, mm-hmm. uh, quoting Trump, of course. But that um, was Africa. Yeah. Well, but <laughs> you, you know, he talked about it for them too. And then, mm-hmm. and then he talks about all these immigrants being, oh, they're bringing over rapists and criminals and, you know, all those, all the, the worst things that you can stereotype about um, immigrants coming from Mexico. And when really a lot of them are unaccompanied minors and parents wanted them to have a better life than what they had, or they're driven out by fear. Um, So, you know, like, obviously we have, we have a crisis and, you know, I don't know how I necessarily feel about Kamala Harris basically telling everybody to sit tight and do not come over. I really don't know how I feel about that. But given the situation she's in, I'm not really sure if I can blame, blame her. I think what needs to happen is, and I'm really excited. I'm kind of really excited to see what um, USAID um, does this time around. Uh, For those who don't follow the immigration thing, USAID has been, uh, kind of the driver of programs and, and federal aid spent um, in countries like Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, um, Central American countries, um, where we've experienced a lot of uh, migrants, especially un- unaccompanied minors, um, being mm-hmm. detained at our border recently. Have come from those countries, and and I'm in U.S. aid. It's not clear how much these programs have actually helped um, when driven by U.S. aid in the past, but I'm really, I'm really interested to see how USAID will work now with Kamala Harris, of course, the leader, um, um, the diplomatic leader anyways, as vice president, and then uh, Samantha Power leading the organization. I really like Samantha Power. Um, go ahead and do some research on her. She was a UN ambassador under Obama, and uh, she did a lot of initiatives to help people around the world. And this is a position that really suits her. So I'm very mm-hmm. excited to see if we can learn the lessons of what aid has done in these countries of the past and how it hasn't worked. Um, and I'm interested to see how it could work now. I appreciate you mentioned Samantha powers. Um, actually I was working on cleaning out my apartment, um, and just doing some late spring cleaning. And I stumbled across, um, a problem from hell, a book written by Samantha powers, specifically speaking to how, um, diplomatic relations and foreign aid by the U.S. government impacted uh, multiple genocides in African countries, specifically Bosnia and um, Rwanda. And um, I think hearing uh, Kamala Harris's, Vice President Harris's speech and understanding the, the importance of corruption and issues in these countries and the need for um, oversight, but, and maybe some people get turned off with this idea of we're policing again, Um, but oversight and accountability. Uh, uh, Former UN ambassador powers is an amazing example of understanding and, and willingness to work to fix those issues. Additionally, though, I I think I want to, dive deeper as well of caring about foreign aid and, and caring about 
um, how the government moves forward. In recent Pew Research polls, we noticed that the share of the U.S. population that are immigrants has begun to rise once again. Um, the highest it ever was was in around the 1800s and like the late 1800s at, um, if I'm looking at this correctly, 14.8%. And now we're sitting at about 13.7%. Um, but you have the Supreme Court coming out today or yesterday, I should say, um, in a unanimous decision saying that individuals who are here for humanitarian reasons seeking um, naturalization are not eligible. They're ineligible to become naturalized citizens. Um, you have a party, I'll call them out, the GQP, who is <laughs> actively, like you mentioned, using this language that they're sending their worst, they're sending rapists and, and predators and drug dealers and all of these pieces. And yet when you go to the border, when you see the border, um, you see children, you see parents shipping off their small children because they want them to have a better life. So where's the disconnect and where's the the dissonance, I question, between how America views immigration and then what's actually happening? That is a big question. You know, I don't know exact, there's probably so many factors that go into this, into how our media reports it, into how uh, it affects our everyday lives. And actually, actually, I'm going to start there. How it affects our everyday lives. For a lot of people, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so when we see immigration crisis, it's not something that a lot of people, since it's not like, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, right? Like you're not seeing what's happening at the border. So is it that big of a deal? Should we care? You know, probably Republicans and Democrats alike. I mean, it doesn't have, it doesn't help that, especially over the last few years, it's really been, um, the rhetoric has really been inflamed on this, um, situation um it's it's difficult terrell because because like me growing up in north idaho immigration was not something that i ever really knew about until i got into politics and even then and maybe even now it's not like it's not like an issue that i follow all the time mm -hmm. um and i probably should follow it more um especially with what's been going on the last few years but i always think about it in terms of the people who are coming and I can't blame them mm -hmm. for wanting to come. I mean, it's interesting to me, like we sit here and have discussions all the time about the American dream, but whether or not the American dream exists to people outside of the country, people still truly believe that this place is so much better than where they're at now. Yeah. And so they're, 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 they're trying to cross the border and I don't really understand the Supreme court ruling. And maybe I don't have context. I didn't really look into it. I, I don't really quite understand why someone couldn't become a citizen here. Like, isn't, isn't this country supposed, isn't that what we're all about? <laughs> Are we a nation of immigrants? I, I don't understand why it's so difficult to become a citizen here. And I don't understand all the time why it's so difficult to actually come here in terms of our process, not actually getting here. That journey is different than our process, but, yeah. but our, I understand having an overloaded immigration system, but 
why aren't we doing something about it? So context to the Supreme Court, um, it's important to recognize that the designation applies to people who come from countries ravaged by war or disaster. Um, it protects them so from refugees. Yes, uh, essentially, but they have, because our system, and we can dive into this too, our system is so convoluted in language and the difference between being an asylum seeker versus being a refugee versus being a an immigrant who is just immigrating is very frustrating. Um, so for these individuals, <laughs> it, yes, to some extent it does include them, but it also includes asylum seekers. It also includes individuals who have left their country due to something that the U.S. government has de- deemed a humanitarian crisis. Um, And it protects them from deportation and allows them to work legally. There's around 400,000 people um, from 12 different countries that this would uh, inherently impact. And I do agree with you. What what was interesting is the fact that this was a unanimous Supreme Court decision. Um, Um, This was not one where you might have expected certain justices to fall one way. Every justice agreed that... um, People who entered this country, what they deemed illegally, even though they were granted temporary temporary protections, um, are not eligible to seek a green card. Okay, so it was people who entered illegally. Loosely speaking. Okay, well, that's also kind of interesting because even a lot of Democrats think that, like, if you're going to come to this country, you should enter legally. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if that's a bad thing to expect. Mm -hmm. But I think the problem is, is that the system that we have doesn't work for people trying to get in legally. Um, And I mean, of course there are, of course, like some people who do come in illegally and it's, it's planned that way and intentional and whatnot. But like, you know, we have border security for that reason, but Mm -hmm. we need to do something about this immigration system. We need to, Kind of like Joe Biden's plan laid out, like we already have a bunch of illegal immigrants here that came here because um, they needed, they fled from whatever it may have been, some fear, maybe, maybe drug cartels, Mm -hmm. just terrible, terrible ways of living. They, or maybe it was because it's the American dream. (laughs) This is a better place than where they were. They could actually succeed in life and, and, um, really really fulfill those as those grand aspirations that they may have so i'm pretty much in agreement with joe biden's immigration reform in terms of finding a pathway to citizenship but we also need to figure out why our immigration system isn't working and obviously it doesn't help um when you have somebody like donald trump come in and literally rip out its guts and not like it was working super well before that but then he came in and made it a lot worse fair put kids in cages and all of that. And somehow this has become a rallying cry um, on the conservative base because now it's all about, oh, these people are going to destroy your way of life. What they're really saying is they're going to destroy your white way of life. That's what they're really saying. I can't say I disagree with you, but I I do want to jump on one point that you mentioned. Um, I think we need to do a better job of defining what that legal an illegal version of Mm -hmm. coming to the country is right. So for these individuals that fall under the Supreme court um, ruling, 
yes, you can arguably say they are here illegally because they came here without doing the process beforehand. However, they were granted a status by the U.S. government of protection because they were fleeing a humanitarian crisis. Yeah. So on that basis alone, you could argue that they followed the process legally, correct? However, because our immigration process requires you to go through multiple steps as in submitting a petition and then waiting for your petition to be approved. And once it's been approved, you have to choose an agent and have a sponsor and have fees paid. And then even after you do that, you collect more information and you submit more forms for naturalization. And then you go through an interview and a test. So you have all of these pieces, but to your massive waiting list too. Oh, the backlog is ridiculous. I mean, even in immigration courts, the backlog is ridiculous. But I think the point that you made before for individuals where immigration isn't the forefront, it's very easy to say, yes, do, do it the legal way, right? Go through that. But for individuals like the Supreme Court case highlights, they were fleeing a, a crisis. They they felt some type of fear and left. Why why is it so hard for us to grant them? We grant them the temporary status. They build a life here. They they give to our country. They build a fund or build some type of um, funding for our country. Why is it so hard for us to see that as legal as well? Yeah, I don't know, Terrell. That's kind of my question exactly. So are these people who are fleeing humanitarian crisis, did they actually enter illegally or did they like seek asylum? They entered and sought. And saw. It was, again, complication, but it was one of those you came first and then followed the process versus you should have followed the process while you were coming. Again, I'm not super well read in terms of immigration issues but i guess i'm having a hard time understanding why why we're so against having people come to our country i don't know like to me the american dream means opportunity but it doesn't mean you get one opportunity and that's it then you're done it means you got lots of chances in your life to do something fulfilling for you and you know if i'm somebody that's coming to this country because I'm fleeing a humanitarian crisis or whatnot, I probably don't want to go back. So, you know, I, I, I not only fleeing that, but maybe I seek a better life in America. And I don't know. It's weird to me that it seems so difficult to grant them that, mm-hmm. to grant them the opportunity. Um, it just seems so, so strange. And I mean, it doesn't feel like it matches with the ideals of what a lot of leaders have talked about as our country over the the whole time it's been in existence. Mm -hmm. And it, again, we've said it a few times, but it's, it's not an easy roadmap, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a process that is you do a, and you get B granted, like we've highlighted, there are multiple different ways that individuals may look to immigrate. It could be due to a a humanitarian crisis. It can be due to some need for asylum. It could just be a genuine, we want to move because this, like you mentioned, this American dream seems like a better opportunity than what we have. Um, And as the Biden administration seems to move forward with this idea of, um, finding a roadmap and and building something that shows the impact of immigration um, on the country and, and the impact of having a process that is adaptable and movable. Um, they also highlight, like you did, 
a need to embrace uh, diversity, specifically um, in their policy layout that they released towards the beginning of the administration. They highlight that the bill can't include any any semblance of a ban. Um, It can't discriminate people due to their their religion or their location of origin. And there is a need to continue to increase diversity visas, which this country offers from um, 55,000 to 80,000. But do you think that that is a real issue that we're having? Do you think that people are actually concerned with the fact that the face of America is changing? Depends on who you talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like I said earlier, yes, Like half the country, I think, is concerned that the face of America is changing. That's why we got somebody like Donald Trump as president. Um, So, yes, I think I think it's also displayed if you turn on Fox News, too. I mean, I mean. They again, Donald Trump called people coming over across the border um, in Mexico rapists, criminals and. And they're going to come take our jobs. And that's the view. Like, they're going to destroy your way of life talking to their base who is white America. <laughs> like, so yes, I, the short answer is yes. The long answer is we've seen this play out um, very bluntly over the last four years and subtly over the last forever in this country. Not in it. I will say that it hasn't only been the Republican Party either. Although... The last few years has definitely been the Republican Party for the most part. So when you see things like that, what what advice would you give or what pieces would you say the vice president should be considering in the conversation she is having with leaders from the Northern Triangle and um, when she's really stepping up as the voice of immigration for our country? You know, I think that, um, I mean, again, I I probably can't give advice, but perspective based off what I've seen from news and whatnot is we need to take a good hard look at why programs don't seem to be working. Um, Why the money that we've given to, to these countries to root out corruption, to provide uh, programs that puts more money in people's pockets. Um, you know, I think it's, I think we just have to take, I think the democratic party and Biden and Harris are absolutely right. When they say we got to root it out from where the root causes, I, I agree with that logic, but is then you have to ask yourself, okay, we've thrown money at it. You know, we've had USAID on it for a while. Um, What's working and what's not, let's reevaluate and let's see what we can do differently this time that might actually work. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing we need to figure out. Um, and then back here at home, we need to obviously uh, seriously consider Biden's proposal for overhauling the immigration system, and which I'm sure we'll go more in depth in that bill in a later episode. But we need to figure out... First of all, we need to combat misinformation and disinformation and ugly rhetoric that paints a, a bad picture of the people that are coming over um, and what the actual reality is. Mm-hmm. And we need to reform our immigration system to make it easier for people who do want to move or are trying to come to a better place um, to be able to actually live here 
and not fear ice or removal or whatnot. So that's what I would say. So with that, was Vice President Harris right to say don't come? (laughs) I think she's right to say don't come if we're actually going to make a difference for them there. Hmm. And again, um, I'm not exactly sure if we are or not. Do you think we are? Define a difference. (laughs) You know, better life. um, I know like a big deal. Like, I don't know if it's the Northern Triangle um, in those countries or in all those countries specifically. I know in Guatemala, there's a lot of corruption. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also a big big reason why like i think guatemala's president is like has connections with drug cartels stuff like that yeah so i think like a better system where people have a voice yeah i think is the idea and then i i also think that we need to find a way that these programs actually put uh, more income in people's pockets that's a big kind of realization with even race in america too is that wealth kind of equals power Mm -hmm. and so i think we need to figure that out as well Um, but I'm not sure if our programs have actually done those things. I would agree. And I, I think, I think a context that's being missed out here is it's interesting to see a woman of color doing this, saying what she saying, don't come. I I really think that she speaks from more experience than other individuals who have held her position or any position that's ever um, done this work has of yes, we, we understand the the crises that are happening in these areas. And we understand the importance of showing up as a leader in the world to, like you mentioned, root out corruption, make your living conditions better. And we understand that our country might be a place that gives you an opportunity to get away from that while that work is being done. However, when you have immigrants coming here and again, seeing their children being separated from them and families not staying close together, when you have individuals born here, um, uh, your piece on generational wealth, I think, hits home the best of you have black and brown folk being born in this country who are barely making it now. The, The rate of housing is astronomical and you can't just have a normal um normal in quotation marks um service job and expect to live in this country so i i question i i just saw a a news flash that aoc um, commented that she felt the vice president's comments were um disappointing but i really think when you take a step back and reflect on it and and just like you mentioned look at those programs and look at the ways that if they came here, would they actually have a better life? I really, yeah, I really question if an American, if without American exceptionalism, you can really say that they would. Yeah. I think that's, that's actually a pretty, that's definitely a point to think about as well. And I also want to say that, that I feel like it's early. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not forget Biden and Harris have only been in those positions for, uh, has it even been? It's been six months because it's the sixth month. Almost June. When did month. they get inaugurated? Uh, January twentieth. So we're pretty close wow. to their six month anniversary. Yeah. Just a couple weeks away. Um, and again, I you know something that 
a little off topic, but something that annoys me about our society today is that we're very quick. We <laughs> rush to judgment. Yeah. And sometimes I wish we would take that judgment and replace it with curiosity. Hmm. So I see, I see why Harris's comments might be disappointing to, to a few. Um, I am willing to wait and see what our approach is, um, especially over the next uh, four years, at least. Absolutely. And I think in future episodes, we can, like you mentioned, dive into some of those plans that the Biden administration has highlighted, and we can do a more robust review of we're reacting right now to something that the vice president said and, and having a conversation finally about the immigration system. But will those words matter? Will they make a change? Will we see um, any shifts in the rate of immigration we've seen? Or will we see some new diplomatic allies and, and some real changes there? So I, which is not normal for me, am hopeful Whoa. of what can happen and, and hopeful that this form of conversation can be had of not just looking at the words that were said, but the intentionality and the impact that they can have um, and really where this country is right now. Take us on a tangent, Caleb. All right. Well, my tangent will be as usual, probably short and sweet and more likely an update on my life. Something I've never been good at. Continue. <laughs> so my girlfriend and I, my girlfriend's name is Maya. and She's awesome and wonderful and beautiful. Name drop. Name drop. She's better than Caleb. So I do echo these opinions. Facts. Anyways, um, on Friday night, we did something that not a lot of human beings do when it comes to bars wore a mask no i mean that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) we went to a bar at 5 p.m and nobody was there you're gonna be that couple no we really just had an itching to play pool oh and so we went to a bar early nobody was there and we got the pool table and we had a couple drinks, played some pool and some darts, and it was a wonderful time, you know. You're going to be that couple. You know, I don't know if we're going to be that couple, Terrell, okay? You're going to be the... We'll be the couple that does that until we get our own pool table. You're going to be the 50-year-old couple who are like, oh, this was one of our favorite bars growing up, and go there at like 6.30, like just close enough where a couple of college kids might sneak in. You guys are all decked out, dressed nicely just like casually enjoying a drink and all the kids are like, where did these people come from? That's going to be you. Look, look, look. We've only done this one time the whole time we've been dating. It only takes one time. Oh, no, stop <laughs> this. <laughs> I will say that uh, bars look better at night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, playing pool was fun and we're currently tied. Oh, she let you win. <laughs> <laughs> anyways um yeah so i had a great time and uh it's just like going by yourself to a movie theater you know you just gotta you just gotta do things sometimes and maybe it'll be fun i love to go get dinner by myself and all that jazz (laughs) terrell why don't you take us on a tangent surprisingly nothing has overtly angered me but also i haven't looked at a lot of tiktok today so that's probably why uh, <laughs> that's why my text messages haven't been blowing up exactly 
yeah, I don't, I don't have anything that's angered me. I mean, we just went on a, a small rant about the NFL. I, I'm. Do tangents have to anger you though? For me, yes. Oh, so you can't just talk about something random? No, it has to be something I'm like frustrated with, or just like, or um, like the only thing I think about is my slight happiness that LeBron James is not going to make it to the NBA Finals this year. Wow. I do not like LeBron James whatsoever. Tell, tell us why, Terrell. There's multiple reasons, but it's mostly just his personality and the fact that the NBA infrastructure, industry, whatever word you want to use, really made him this superstar just because he looked cool when he was a rookie and have now just left him there. But when you look at his record and when you look at things he really didn't show up the way that people want to make him out to be. They're like, oh, well, look at how he's doing in all-time shooting and X, Y, and Z and compare him to um, Michael Jordan. What's left out is LeBron's been in the NBA significantly longer than Michael Jordan has. If we're only going to go by all-time scores, obviously, if you're there longer, you're going to have a higher score. Hopefully. I mean, yes, yeah, there's a times change too. So like, yeah. And now so he's players and now he's playing in an NBA that consists of a lot of smaller forwards and tends to play small ball while he goes to the gym, bulks up. And you're telling me that like, oh, Draymond Green obviously is supposed to be a great competition for him when he goes in the paint. No, he can flick Draymond Green with one finger. Of course, it's like. LeBron James has been made out to be this amazing king of kings when I really just think he he's a player that got lucky. That's it. And then he don't we all just get lucky, Terrell? No. Why? Not everyone. Some people don't have good luck. A great example. A great example. Um, Well, wait a second. Okay. Let's say that he got lucky. Okay. Yeah. But then he's a great player. Not necessarily. No, I'm not saying just because you're lucky you're a great player, but I'm, yes. but I'm saying, okay. But I'm saying he's not a great player at all, so like know, this argument doesn't that. matter to me. But if I'm, a, let's say I get lucky and I happen to be awesome in the NBA to what a lot of people think, and I do well. Did you get lucky because you are good, or did you get lucky because the the way the game was played favored you? Because I think those are two very different things. And I believe I feel like the, you're really trying to scratch at why LeBron's bad, but LeBron's just not bad. But he kind of is. I mean, he what, puts, he's bad because he took advantage of how the game's played. Yes. How I don't is like that, that bad? I don't like it. I, I don't as a person. So well, if okay, fun, well, wait a second. I've grown up. I've grown up watching the NBA all my life. It is a big part of my family. Um, we used to go to all star games. I remember watching the big the bigs play i remember kevin garnett in his prime i remember when the pistons went on their um their playoff streak i remember what it was like when Shaq literally broke the um the hoop because he was hanging on it too long in the glass like these are things that i can recall and those are the people that lebron was intending to play like he grew up in that frame of basketball when yeah your, when the people in the paint were big, when the perimeter was not a place that people shot a lot from. You had maybe one player who was semi-decent at shooting from the perimeter, but they mostly went for a mid-range shot. 
were sometimes good. Well, wait a second. LeBron James was created in that system and, and was developed in that system okay. versus the system that's being played now is far more perimeter heavy. You don't see people driving to the paint as much as they used to. Except LeBron. Except LeBron because he knows that he can, not because he's good at it, but because that change in how the game is played has resulted in defenders being smaller and not focusing on. But that doesn't sound like LeBron's fault. It's not. So, but that you can't make someone a great because they got really lucky in how the game got played. But the way the game is played now is we don't have comparison. So he's great until we have comparison. I think you have plenty of people to compare him to that are already up and coming and doing amazing compared to him. Jason Tatum. Great example. Yeah, but LeBron's also like 40 years old. Congrats. Let's wait till they're 40 and see if they're as good. They probably will be as long as they don't get injured. Also, I don't <laughs> like the fact that he always walks off the court when he loses and gets all butt hurt. Like, I just don't. Oh, it's just antics. I don't. Everybody does that shit. That's not true. <laughs> Curry does not do but that. Curry cares. always waits till the end of the game. Actually, my mom and I do a lot. It's really funny because after he lost, I call. I immediately called my mother and was like, did you see? She's like, oh, my God, did he not make it? Ha, ha, ha. And she started laughing because we both have a deep-seated disdain for him. If he was a better person, I would like him. That's all I got to no, say. That's, you know, that's fair. That's and fair. That's fair. if he I, played I in the 90s can... to the thousands where he is now, probably would have liked him more. But he played his rookie years. Did decent, had some really nice moves with the Cavs. Also would like to point out that no one treated the Cavs seriously when he was a rookie. So why we pretend like, oh my God, he got a dunk is immaculate when the team still went on to lose by 20. Ooh, congrats. <laughs> I just, yeah, I have a lot of reasons why I just don't think he's as great as people want him to be. Well, that's our show, folks. <laughs> I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week.